Well, I don't know about you, but I think we've had a, a really wonderful January. We've had the privilege of having guest speakers um, three in a row, and um, it's been a rich month. We've heard a lot of wonderful, wonderful things, which have been very challenging. We had a fantastic week of prayer. There's great momentum. People have been responding to the gospel, which is just wonderful news. And uh, I found out um, just this week that the people that have signed into Ashburnham, which is something we plugged throughout um, month of August, there's uh, month of January, there's there's actually right now twice as many people booked into Ashburnham as there were this time last year, which means it's going to be a huge bumper event. I really don't want to find that there's some of you that can't get in because they've actually had to cap it, which we'll try not to do. We want everybody to come as much as possible. So very encouraging, and uh, please do, uh, if we don't mention it for a few weeks, it doesn't mean it's disappeared. We want you to still consider whether or not you can come to this wonderful gathering of thousands of people to worship the Lord Jesus, which is wonderful. Now, without further ado, uh, as someone said to me, um, it's been great having these guest speakers. Who's speaking this morning? I said, I am. And the feeling was it's downhill from now on. <laughs> so um, I need your encouragement to make sure that doesn't happen. And we decided that we would start a new series um, for the next four weeks, and it's on the, from the book of two Timothy. So if you have your Bibles or your, your Bibles on your phone, very dangerous thing, um, you might like to turn to 2 Timothy. There might be some verses that come up behind me later. Um, and neatly, it's uh, divided into four chapters, and then in um, the next month, which is March, we'll be beginning another new series. We can't go for too long in this church without wanting to turn to the Word of God and go through a book of the Bible. It's something we feel is one of the ways that we teach uh, the people of God. And so 2 Timothy is the one that we've decided to go for over these next few weeks. I need to just give you a very, very brief background to the book of 2 Timothy, otherwise you won't fully grasp what the purpose of the book really is. Paul is in prison. It's probably the, the, the year AD 87 to 67 to 68. That's when he's there in prison. And he knows he's facing the end of his life. He's about to be executed. That's why he's in prison. And it's really the end of his ministry. And he knows it. In fact, there's a verse in 2 Timothy where he says, I have fought the good fight. It's like almost past tense. My fight is coming to an end. I've fought the good fight. Timothy, my life is nearly over. It's a kind of goodbye message. Actually, 2 Timothy is a passing the torch on to the next generation. It's really like me writing a letter to James Silly or to other new ground younger leaders and saying to them, these are the things that I want to pass on to you before I go. Please don't read too much into this sermon, by the way, in case any of you think that <laughs> this could be the last sermon I ever preached. But God knows it might be. What would I say to James Silly? That's what kind of Paul's impression. What can I say to Timothy? I'm not going to see him again. What's of the most importance? There are so many distractions in life. There are so many things that we now think are important that if I was writing a letter, I probably wouldn't even mention them because they're really, really not that important. What are the most important things? What really matters? I wonder what you would say. 
If you, as an older Christian, were writing a letter to a younger Christian, what would you think is the most important thing? I'm looking at you to see if you... you <laughs> what is the most important thing you would immediately say to somebody if you weren't going to be around? And I've said many times before, one of the riches about being in a church like this right now, New Community Church, is that we're a two-generational church. In fact, we're a three-generational church. And so we have the wonderful mixture of people who have life and experience and those who have energy and youth. And those two things, when they come together, are wonderful. And it's great to be in a church where you can look to a generation and hear what they have to say to you about what's important in life. This is the message of 2 Timothy. That was about the briefest summary I've ever done in the book. <laughs> and chapter 1, I've entitled this particular word, Guarding the Deposit. So one of the things that Timothy, that Paul is so concerned about is there's something that God has entrusted to Paul that he now wants to entrust to Timothy. There's something that's been deposited to them as the people of God that he doesn't want Timothy to lose. I think the most important thing that Paul is saying to Timothy, my final shot, Timothy, before I go to glory, is remember this thing that God has given to us and never lose it. Guard the deposit that God has given to you, Timothy. So let's read 2 Timothy and chapter 1 and verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Just pause there for a moment. Notice the affection, the warmth, the expression of love that there is between Paul and Timothy. Because the church was never an organization. This is not headquarters sending down an edict that's written down like some legalistic law. This is full of warmth. The church is meant to be a people that are affectionate to one another and warm to one another. We're not an organization. We're a family. And often through scripture, you think, why is Paul going on? It's all a bit lovey-dovey. Why is he going on and on about how he feels? Because that must always be the atmosphere of the family of God, the church that we are belonging to. I don't always long to see James, but I, you know, there we go. It's just one of those things. I'm, it's a work in progress. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. Put your hands up if you're a grandfather or a grandmother. Oh, quite a few. <laughs> and now I'm sure dwells, oh, and sorry, and, but forget your mother Eunice, hands up if you're a parent. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. 
Incidentally, in passing, there's a reference here to the inheritance or the impartation that can come through generations. You can't make your child or your grandchild a Christian, but it doesn't stop you having massive influence over their lives. The things you say, the way that you live. I want to say to grandparents here today, I want to say to parents here today, even if your kids aren't doing well and they've wandered far from God, the influence and the impact that Paul knew that, his grand, that James, <laughs> Tim's grandmother and, and mother had had on his life were enormous. Please never underestimate that. Verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed for what, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Very quickly, chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Guarding the deposit is the overriding value of this particular chapter in 2 Timothy. The strange thing is, when you go to verse 12, please go there, it seems that Paul is saying that God is the one who guards the deposit. He says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So the emphasis seems to be God is Guarding it, that passage in Philippians 1 verse 6, <clears throat> I'm convinced that he who began a good work in me is able to bring it to completion. So there's that sense in which God has invested something in my life, but he's overseeing it to make sure that the reason he's put the deposit in me becomes a reality. It comes to maturity and to fruition. So God's the one who sustains our lives. He's the one who protects us. If you remember the word I preached at the beginning of January, he's the one who carries us throughout our lives. We're not carrying God, he's carrying us. And yet, as often we find in Scripture, there's a partnership between God's promises and our response to his promise. So God says, he says here, God, you will keep what you've given me until the day that I die. But in Scripture, again and again, it's like God says, I will do this if you will do that. For example, I will abide in you if you will abide in me. 
It's kind of always like this with God. It's not some mechanical thing. We stand here and we don't do anything and he does everything. But in relationship, he draws us out so that we play our part as surely as he will play his. So get to verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted in you. So there's an overarching sense that God is guarding everything he's given to us, but there's an even more reality down to earth sense in that Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you have a responsibility to guard that which God has put within your life. See, I'm looking at a load of people here this morning, and you may or may not know this, but God has invested so much into your life. The Bible describes you as treasure, having treasure in earthen vessels. God has put rich things into your life. You think I'm not very rich? You have no idea. You are richer than the richest person on earth because God's riches have been placed within you. When you woke up this morning, you didn't do anything to get as rich as you are. God has made us rich. He has put his treasure in us. He has deposited precious things into you. Timothy, God has put precious things into your life. He's entrusted things to you. Now guard it. If God has given you something precious within you, your responsibility, my responsibility, is to guard what God has given, to nurture it, to fuel it, and even as we'll see at the end, to even pass it on to other people. If someone was to give you something of great value and then say to you, I am trusting you for safekeeping, This thing I'm giving to you, you're in control. Please would you look after this? What would your response be? Would it be to, well, it's yours, it's not really mine. Thank you for giving it to me, but I don't really want, I'm not going to bother to look after it. I'm not going to invest in it. Thanks, but no thanks. Or would it be, my goodness, this person has given me something really precious. It's my responsibility to do all I can to guard it and to look after it. So I said to you, here's a thousand pounds. Okay, Nick, Nick, here's a thousand pounds. I'm going to give it to you. John, here's a thousand pounds. Melinda, well, maybe not Linda, Melinda, but here's a thousand pounds. Would you please look after it for me for a few days? I wonder if someone gave you a thousand pounds and you put it in your wallet whether you just forget it about it, leave it, not bother about it, go shopping, do everything. I think you're going to look at that money from time to time. I think you're going to check it from time to time. I think you're going to kind of make sure that it's there. It's your responsibility. What if I said to you, look after my passport? It's quite precious. I do need it on Monday, but I'm keeping, going to keep it to you. You double-check that passport was there. You keep looking at it. You keep, even though you know it's in your pocket, you still feel it. Because you just desperately don't want it to go away. Is this communication? Okay, I'm going to give you my child for the weekend. Just look after my child for the weekend. Are you going to adopt it? Well, okay, child, you can sit there, uh, watch what you like, do what you like. Mum's coming back on Monday, pick it up there. These are precious things. If I gave you my car keys, 
Would you look up? I mean, who would ever lose car keys? I mean, it just wouldn't happen because it's precious and it's important and it's, it's there. Or if I said to you, come and sit in my house, just look after my house for a moment or two, what would you do? Well, you take it very seriously. You take this as a real responsibility. You do all you could to guard it. You wouldn't just drift along throughout life. And yet some of us as Christians, we've received this tremendous deposit from God, but we tend to just drift along through life, not bothering with what God has given to us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the use, best use of, your, of the time, because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is, and don't get drunk with wine. And real translation, because that's dissipation. It means drifting through life, just not bothering with things. God has placed his life in me. I must take responsibility to ensure that what he's given me flourishes. It's not your responsibility. It's not God who does this. It's me, Timothy. God has invested in you a great deposit. You are meant to guard this deposit, which means to keep it, to protect it, to flourish it. I'm saved by God. This is wonderful. But it's not just all down to him now to make sure I get to the end. Look at this in Philippians chapter 2. This is powerful. Therefore, verse 12, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here we've got the balance again. God's at work in you. He's deposited in you. But your responsibility, my responsibility, is to work out our salvation. That's not to be saved, because you already are, but salvation has a load of consequences. It's your responsibility to make sure that what God has given to you grows and matures. It is one of the reasons why some people become Christians and they never grow in their faith. It's not because God doesn't love them and he's not faithful to them. It's just that they got saved and that's the end of the story. They're not responsible. They're not giving themselves to what God has given to them. If I could summarize it and summarize this chapter, it's kind of like this. Whatever God has put in you, keep it alive. Don't let it go to sleep. Don't let it get dormant. Keep it alive. So how do I guard and keep on guarding this deposit? Well, Tim Timothy chapter 1 tells us how to guard the deposit, and Paul gives us three examples. Example number one. I'm just going to give you three examples of things that need to be guarded. (coughs) The first one is this. (coughs) Excuse me. To guard the gospel. Look at verse 8 of guarding this gospel. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but sharing suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy, one of the things that's been deposited to you is, to, is the gospel. And you need to know that it's important for you to guard it. And it's still true for everybody in this room who is a Christian. Now, I think it can happen by two ways. The first way is this. You've been given a message. The gospel is a message. 
So the first way to guard the gospel is to guard the message, the content of the gospel itself. We have been entrusted with a message, Timothy. Therefore, guard it. And Timothy was surrounded at a time and at a generation where there are all sorts of people distorting the gospel and its power. They were giving other gospels. They were giving other suggestions how you could be right with God. And Paul is desperate as he comes to the end of his life to say to Timothy, you have got to guard this message. I think the same is true today. I think there is a crisis going on, particularly in the Western world and in the church in the Western world, about what is the message? What is the gospel? And I want to say to us, I'd love to preach a whole sermon on this, but I can't, that as a church community, we've got to not only believe this message, we've got to make sure we're faithful to it, and we proclaim this message, not something you would like to proclaim to other people. And we're living in a day where people are trying to distort the message of the gospel. God's saying to us, guard this message. You can't water it down. You can't change it to suit your culture. It has to stay the same. Guard it. Protect it. Defend it. Don't change it. And brothers and sisters, people for centuries have even given up their lives, literally, to make sure that you're sitting here today so that you can still hear the same message of the gospel. It's a huge deal when we say to you, guard this message, because I know there are many reasons why we'll be tempted to just change it. Did Jesus, you know, and when I really speak the gospel as it said, it seems to be so foolish. Yes, it is. There's no reason to change it. We're to guard this message. If we change it, there'll be no salvation. The gospel, when we keep the gospel as it is, convicts people through the Holy Spirit and they get saved. One of the reasons you got saved is you heard the real gospel. And you as an individual and me and us as a church, we need to guard this message. I don't know how long I'm going to be around. But I hope after I've gone, there'll be a church community that still believes this stuff and still proclaims it. Because it's unchanging. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe it. So don't change it, because the moment you do, it won't be the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.17 says, when the gospel is proclaimed, a, a revelation comes to people of righteousness and why they need to get right with God. It may be foolish, but it has the power to transform people's lives. The second thing I think about guarding the gospel is this. It's not just guarding the message, important though that is, and not changing it and seeing the power of it, but secondly, it's guarding the gospel by living it out daily in our lives. Because the gospel is not a message I once heard and responded to years ago. It's a living and present reality right now. It has the power to keep working into every area of your life. Guarding the gospel is appropriating the gospel. Let me say that again. Guarding the gospel is appropriating, absorbing everything about this message that's changed your life into every part of your life. That's guarding the gospel. For, for, so, for example, 
Every time you look at the gospel, you'll see certain things that are totally relevant to you now, even if you were saved 30, 20, 10 years ago or last year. Take, for example, forgiveness. You look at the cross, you look at the gospel, and it's all about forgiveness. Here's someone 20 years later that's done me wrong, and I can't forgive them. Do I need prayer and ministry, or do I need to go back to the gospel which has shown me that this is the most amazing, if Jesus could forgive those who were nailing him to the cross, even though he didn't deserve it, I can forgive this person now. That's making sure the gospel isn't a message that you heard 30 years ago, but it's actually a now living reality that changes your life. That's what it means to guard the gospel. Every time you look at the cross, you see self-sacrifice. How many times in my life does that challenge me because I'm selfish? And applying the gospel to my life, uh, it delivers me from self-centeredness. Relationships with the brothers and sisters in Christ. I need the gospel in my life to help me to love people. A lot of the gospel is about death. It's about Jesus literally dying on the cross But it's also about us being crucified with him. Paul says this. This is powerful. I die daily. What does that mean? It means that message I heard decades ago, today I apply it into my life because today there's 101 reasons why I need to die. And that's true of you. We should be dying every day because there's something in us that wants our own way and the cross, the gospel, Deals with that. When I look to the cross, what do I see? I see the grace of God. There's so much about the grace of God that is more than just a doctrine. So the grace of God is relevant. The gospel is relevant because it affects the way I, I am in my relationship with Liz, how I handle my children, what I'm like at work, what I'm like in my relationships with people. This gospel needs to be guarded on a daily basis, which is what keeps this gospel alive. Habits, addictions, mental health issues, past traumas. All of these things can be powerfully transformed by us guarding the gospel. The reason we're doing a free for purpose course in the church at the moment is because we know that this gospel didn't just save people from their sins. It has the power to come and transform everything about us utterly. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, can I just say to you, the message of Jesus, the message of the cross, is not just an old message you hear once. It has the power to transform every part of your life. And you're surrounded here today by people who didn't change themselves. And one of the reasons we got changed is that we apply the gospel to our lives in every part of our lives. This is not an old, over-familiar, one-off, life, lifeless kind of message that we heard years ago. It's a daily reality for us today. Timothy, I am at the end of my life. Please, one thing, most important thing is the gospel. Guard it. Don't compromise it. Don't change it. Keep preaching it. It's the power of God unto salvation. And can I say, Timothy, absorb yourself in the gospel. Tell your people. Just like we're trying to do this morning. Get into the gospel. Let the gospel completely, utterly change you as a person on a daily basis. The second guarding the deposit issue has to do with what I call the things of the spirit. Verse 6. 
For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, your Bible might have the word timidity, but of power and love and self-control. The activity of the Holy Spirit now at work within you needs to be guarded. Even verse 14 says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So for Paul, he's saying to Timothy, guard the gospel. He's also saying to him, guard the work of the Holy Spirit that has begun in your life. It's interesting, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The Holy Spirit has been deposited. If you're a child of God, I mean, just take this. The Holy Spirit of God is living in you. He's come to dwell in you. The things of the Spirit are really important. And one of the things we need to do is guard the things of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, you've heard this so many times before, is a helper, not an imposer. He has come to help you in the Christian life. In fact, you can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. So how do I guard the things of the Spirit? Well, here's the first thing is, I'm allowing him to be the helper in my life. I can't do this on my own. I can't read the Bible on my own without understanding it. I can't worship without the Spirit. I can't pray without the Spirit. I can't relate to you without the Holy Spirit. I need him. And every time a Christian says, I can't do this, and you never thought of it like this, but you're guarding the Holy Spirit. Because every time you say, I can't do this, the Holy Spirit comes, and he is now able to do the work that you cannot do in you. Paul says to Timothy, Here's how you guard the things of the Spirit. Verse 6. Fan into flame. You do it, Timothy. This is not someone else praying for you. This is not God doing it. What God has deposited in your life through the Spirit, you fan into flame. Me. It's my responsibility to do the fanning. Well, what is this thing he's talking about? Well, the commentators don't know. It could be that Timothy had been baptized in the Spirit through the laying on of hands. But the reality is he's become dormant, it's become quiet, it's a past experience, not a present reality. It could be a gift that was imparted to him. It could be the gift of leadership. It could be the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, Timothy has allowed these things to get to get kind of dormant and quiet. Verse 7 <clears throat> indicates you have not given, been given the spirit of timidity. It's kind of like Timothy maybe has a temperament which is timid. It may be that he has a bias towards the great things God's given to him, having a personality that just doesn't cope very well with those things. Timothy may have been frightened of the false teachers, the task before him. Even the thought of Paul dying and not being around must have been a bit intimidating for Timothy. But whatever it was, the answer is this. Keep fanning into flame because God has given you a spirit of power and of love and of self-control, not of timidity. Things of the spirit, Timothy... You keep them alive. Can I just say this? I think this is really important for quite a few people here today. Have we given up fanning into flame the deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Have we stopped guarding it? So can I just say it like this? If you've been filled with the Spirit, 
Why are you not going on being filled with him? If you prophesied once, fanning into flame means prophesy again and again and again. If you had a word of knowledge once, do you know, do you know why it's gone dormant? Because you stopped having words of knowledge. Fanning into flame what God has given to you is guarding the deposit of the Holy Spirit by making sure it's alive. If you've spoken tongues once and it hasn't really come to fruition like a language, it's just simply because you're not practicing the gift that God has given to you. That's what it means to fan into flame. Gifts are not given in full bloom. They need to be developed through the use that we give them. I can't make you fan into flame the Holy Spirit's activity within you, you can. And I want you to know today, if your present experience of the things of the Spirit, let's be honest, are pretty dead, here's the good news. The embers are still there. Just need a bit of the billows to blow on them. And the billows blowing on the embers of, your, of, of the work of the Spirit, however cold, however past, just one blow of the Spirit and they'll come alive again. One stepping out to prophesy again. What? The whole thing's coming back. One laying hands on somebody and they're doing it again and again and again causes the things of the Spirit to come alive. I don't know where we're quite at as a community in this at the moment. Some are moving well. Others are doing okay. And some of us are a bit dormant. The Bible says, guard the deposit of the Spirit that is within you. The third and final thing is this. I haven't got time to mention this for very long, but it's this. It's what I would call guarding the values. You guard the gospel. You guard the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, you guard the values that God has given to you. Verse 13 Paul says, follow the pattern of the sound words we've given you. Chapter 2, verse 2 says, the things you've heard from us in the presence of many witnesses. There are words that have been spoken. <clears throat> it's the communication, the values that are really important. Paul's saying, I'm coming to the end of my life. I want you to keep the gospel. I want you to keep moving on the things of the Spirit. And finally, there are values that God has given to us that we're entrusting to you. Don't compromise the values. What you've heard, it says here in that verse, verse 13, the pattern. It's not just words, it's more than words, it's a way of living. It's something that's been seen and it's an example that we've given to you. Paul often says, you have seen our example, the way we live, the things we believe, the things that are most important, we're now entrusting to you to entrust to others. It's an impartation of values that we carry. This church has values. This church carries values. They're biblical values. They're this local church's values. They're not rules. They're not even written down. There's something observed and then passed on and then absorbed by you. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says to the Corinthian church, I can't come, but I'm sending Timothy to you. <clears throat> it says, and he knows my ways in Christ. Paul, Timothy's not Paul. It's not saying I'm going to send Timothy to you and it's really me. See, Timothy's coming in his own right, but he knows my values. He knows my ways in Christ. We have ways in Christ. I, so let me finish with this. If this was my last sermon ever, and some of you are hoping that it might be, 
If this was my last sermon ever to new community, and I knew it, and we'd go on longer because it's my last sermon ever, one of the things I would be saying is not only the gospel and the things of the Spirit, because I would say those things, absolutely. But thirdly, I'd be saying the values that we've had for 40 years in this church, stay faithful to them. Don't drop them. Guard them. Guard the deposit. Watch them. They may express themselves differently in a new generation, but they don't change. Don't compromise. Don't forget them. Don't leave them in the past. See, some of the, some of the things that this church really holds dear are values that were fought for down for years. There's a saying that is this. The first generation fights for them. The second generation assumes them. And the third generation loses them. That's pretty depressing. Do you know what safeguards us against that? It's if you and me say we're going to guard the values by living them out and passing them on to others. You don't need me to tell you what some of these values are, but there will be things like worship, the presence of God, valuing the gifts of the Spirit, freedom and expectation. We're a relational community, and we're about to go to three venues, and we might go to four venues. Who knows where God will lead us? But everyone expresses relationship with one another because that's a value that we hold dearly. We want to be a church, and we, I think we always have been, maybe not always, where we're authentic, where we're honest, where we make mistakes and it's okay. A culture <clears throat> where we are not embracing hierarchy. A community that loves the grace of God and wants to run from legalism. A community that is essentially about mission and not being internalized. A community that loves the word of God when fads come and fads go. A community that embraces diversity of all ages and colors and backgrounds. These are the values we've been fighting for. I do feel like I'm saying my goodbye sermon. It's a bit of fun. That's my next flight. I think it's next weekend. Okay. <clears throat> a church where Jesus is at the center of everything. I don't know how your week's been, but some of my week's been pretty messy, dealing with some really not very nice stuff in the body of Christ. It's kind of quite depressing I've had phone calls and emails and had to deal with some things. And when you go through that, you kind of think, Lord, what is the main thing? What really is the thing? As we get the press come in and they get all distracted in other things, it's the real thing that Jesus is the center of everything. Can we stand together, please? I have one final application, and then I'm going to hand over to John. 2 Timothy 2.2. It's not a difficult verse to remember. 2 Timothy 2.2. It's been in my brain for years. It says this. What has been entrusted to you, Timothy, find faithful people and entrust it to them so that they, in turn, may entrust it to others. One of the great motivations for guarding the deposit is if I've guarded it, I can then hand it over to my family, to the next generation, to my friends, to my neighbours. Notice it says, don't hand it over to highly gifted people. Hand it over to people who are faithful. What are faithful people? Do you know what they are? They guard the deposit. 
I said, oh, good, great, my time. Thank you, goodbye, we'll now do the real thing. No, 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 no. It's we'll be faithful to what you have handed over to us. Guard it well, pass it on to faithful people, to a future generation. Let's pray. Lord, I want to ask you, according to 2 Timothy, that we will be those who guard the deposit that you have given to us, whether it's the gospel, whether it's the things of the spirit, whether it's the values that you've put into this community for many, many years. Lord, we're believing you for great things. We're believing you for growth and expansion, and we're not worried about that. We're believing it not because we want to be a big church, but because we want the name of Jesus to be glorified. And we want thousands to come to know him as Lord and Savior. And we deeply believe that you have deposited in us things that are of great value. Can I close by just applying this to you? If you know you're somebody for whom the gospel has become an old message, can I just challenge you today? Guard it by, by speaking it out, by believing it, but also by living it daily. And if you're someone here today who has known in the past the work and activity of the Holy Spirit, but it's all going dormant. Today it can change by admitting it and beginning to move again, and you'll be amazed how the embers start to come alive. And if you know you're someone who's become a bit cynical about values and a bit critical about them, can I urge you to come back and be someone who embraces those values again? Thank you, Holy Spirit. We Invite you now to cause your word today to become alive in our hearts. We will devote ourselves to your word over and over again until it becomes a reality in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.